evening. Uh, please remain standing for a sec here. Uh, we are continuing in our series on the book of Psalms, and this evening we will be looking at Psalm 127. Psalm 127. It reads this, a song of ascents of Solomon. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil. For he gives to his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We really do need it. Um, most of us feel this way. We feel the uncertainty of the times we live in, and it's hard to think about building anything, <laughs> frankly. And um, I think we can learn a lot from this text. Help us to see the beauty of your truth of these words. And I just confess to you that I'm weak. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what we need to hear right now in this moment. I don't. And that's why I just, I just ask for your spirit. We just want to be a place that sees you rightly, that can praise you rightly. And God, we just need you. We need Jesus. That's my prayer. And I hope that I can communicate in a way that truly does honor you. We all need to see you. That's all we need. That's what we all need. And I pray that that's what we're here for. And for those that aren't, would you be kind to them and show them who you are? A God who is merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. It is your kindness that leads us to repentance. I just pray for your spirit to lead in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good evening. Aloha to you, shore break, and those of you that are online. My name is Garrett. Um, Pastor Leo asked me to fill in because uh, he's not feeling well, so please pray for him. Um, yeah. Where to start? I mean, it just is. It, it, we, the, the times we're living in, I don't think any of us really knows how to comprehend this. Um, and I look at this text, and I, and I see the building. I see the watching, and you see the vanity in it all. And um, like I said in my prayer, it's just hard to think about building anything. And so for us, I just want to pose two questions as we look at this text. Um, the first one is, what kind of house are you building? Okay, and this is, this is from the perspective of the, the first two verses. Right? There is a right and a wrong way to build a house. And the second question is, what kind of house is, is the Lord building? 
Um, yeah, I this text, I didn't realize how personal to me this text has become. This is a text that I've been thinking about for probably the past four weeks. I, I literally, it was, I didn't understand how the first two verses fit with verses three to five. It's like the building, the watching, the vanity, and then it just makes this sharp turn to like children and arrows and blessing, and you're like, what? what's their relationship? So I, I hope to to maybe fill in some of those gaps for you. I'm not I'm not here to proclaim that I, I truly get it, but hopefully we can uh, somewhat get into the ballpark here. But I think the reason why this text has become so personal to me is because I know this text. I know what it feels like to eat the bread of anxious toil. I know what it's like to be restless. I know what it feels like to labor and to feel like it's for no purpose, to feel exhausted, to feel brought to the end of yourself, and to, to, to just wonder why. Like, why, Lord? Why? I've, been, I've been trying as, as hard as I can. I've been, I, I, haven't I been faithful? Haven't I done the things that you've called me to? And, and it's just to no avail. feels like everything just falls apart right in front of you. Um, the summer before we moved out here, this, this text was real to me. This was very real. It was this probably the hardest, I think, summer I think I've ever gone through. We, uh, I was, I was in the seminary. I was working four jobs because I didn't want to go into debt. My best friend dies, and then I find out that I take this job, and I was going to be for a month. Months straight, 14 to 16 hours a day trying to sell fireworks. And that whole thing imploded. And as I took that job, I was, was watching my friend die because he was an alcoholic, and I, he literally, his whole body shut down. He was, he was in a medically induced coma. Nothing I could do for him. And for some strange reason, he'd re- he still recognized my voice. I would talk to him, and he would reach out for me. And I just talked with it, but he couldn't. He wasn't there, but he was there. I come back home. We have about three weeks to sell everything in our house and to move back to Iowa. And a week after that, I fly back out to California to go bury my friend. And then we come back and we move. And the next day, literally, I had one day of rest, and then it was 30 days of fireworks trying to sell fireworks, and at the very end of it, I had 700 bucks. I didn't even break even. We were literally negative. It was the worst investment. It was the worst investment. And I know what it's like to feel like you're building, and it doesn't matter what you do. You can never get ahead. You can never get ahead, and and I remember I had to drop classes. I I was still in seminary trying to finish, right? I wanted to finish on this time. I worked as hard as I could. I had to drop these classes, which means the timetable from finishing school gets pushed out. I don't have the money at this point to pay for it. The Lord graciously switched my major so that I could finish it. But it was just everything was falling apart, right? And the whole point of trying to sell these fireworks was to, was to have money to move here. 
because we felt like God has called us here. And then fast forward to the winter, and I get the call that Travis is asked to step out, and it's like, what do you do? What do you do? Like, like then I, I remember I was telling Hannah, I was like, like, literally is my whole life just like one big lie? Like, what have I been doing? This is what we've been building for, and at that point, it had been like literally eight years of praying about doing ministry in Hawaii, and it felt like, Lord, I don't know what to do anymore, and I was brought to the end of myself, and then the next day, we get an anonymous check for $10,000, and in the memo, it said Hawaii, and we felt like, okay, all right, Lord, we'll go. We will go. Now, I hope that you know what that's, that feels like. Not because it's enjoyable, not because I would wish that upon anybody, but there, there is a posture that we can carry that, that begins with, with this kind of question it, in, where you become the, the vantage point. Right? What, what kind of house are you building? You are at the center. See, the, the, the reality is, I thought I was doing the will of God, but it, it came at, at an expense. Like I, it's like at that point when it was just about me trying to finish and me trying to get my plans in order and walk through all the steps, at some point along the line, I missed God. I did. I thought I was doing everything right. And like literally, in my own pride, I remember going to the Lord and saying, why? It's like the older brother. Haven't I been faithful? The problem is that I was trying to build my own house. This is what Solomon is, is, is showing us, is, is there is a way. It's not wrong to build a house, by the way. Nothing wrong with having a house. There's nothing wrong with watching over the city. But look at, look at the text. It's, it's done in vanity. Verse 2, it is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest. You are overworking. You are eating the bread of anxious toil. You are overwhelmed, and it's, it's causing you anxiety. You're losing sleep. There's a restlessness. And by the way, that's not the fruit of the Spirit. Just so you know. This is not what Jesus invites us to. His yoke is easy and his burden is light. So you have this picture of, of a man, a builder and a watchman, who are not trusting in God. That's why they're working so hard. They're working as though God isn't sovereign. And what you find out is in, in verses 3, 4, and 5, they're, they're actually neglecting the things that are of most importance. Why build a house? Well, it's because the Lord wants to bless you with children. That's what the house is for. There's a way to watch over the city that says, God, I, I don't think you're watching. I don't think you're protecting. And you stay awake in vain. Again, you, you, you forget. You forget that God is the one that is building. You forget that God is the one is watching. And that's where you're exerting your energy. You're, you're living as though God is not in control. And oftentimes this is what we do when 
When God is not in control, we are fighting for control. And if things are out of control, we're fighting for control. If this area is out of control, well, I'm going to have control here. And it's, it's the same problem. And when you, when you trust that God is in control, look at, look at what he says at the end of verse 2. It says he gives his beloved sleep. At some point, you've got to take a nap. Right? You, you will not be in a position to actually tend to the things that are of utmost importance. Have you ever, have you ever worked so hard? You come home, and there's your wife, there's your kids. You're like, all right, game time. You sit on the couch and you, <laughs> you fall asleep. I've been there. I've been there. Some of that is just beyond my control. Sometimes I'm just like literally physically exhausted. But what's driving that? Isn't that the, the whole reason why I go to work? Is to like support my family and be with them and love them and care for them? It, it's, it, it's a miserable life. It's a miserable life to live this way. And this is what, this is what Solomon is, is reminding us of. You know, have you, ever, have, you ever, have you ever set your mind to something that's, and you wanted this thing so bad you were willing to do anything for it? Anything. Like literally just watch th- this. I'm a little late to the game, but it's brilliant. It's great. The last dance. It's phenomenal. I mean, we, we look at what the Bulls did the two three-peats, I mean, it's, it's incredible. But, but this is what's so great about the last dances is it all came at a cost. And it begs you, the viewer, like, was it worth it? Was that worth it? Was it really worth? Is that the house that you wanted to build? Is that the city that you wanted to look over? So... We, we see this, right? We see, we see Solomon makes it very clear that to work as though God is not in control is, is a pretty miserable way to live. And um, vanity. <coughs> it's vanity. But then he makes this transition, right? Verse 3. And the question is really, so if, if this is the house that I am seeking to build, that leads to toil and vanity. Well then, well then, what kind of house are you are you building, God? What are you, what are you building? And he says, "Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord." See, we we do this with church, right? Get a building. There's nothing wrong with that. It's good to have a building. This is this is great. I love the AC. Love the pews. Love the sound equipment. Being mobile kind of sucks, frankly. You know, this is nice. And there's nothing wrong with this. But is this the thing? Is this the thing? No. No, it's not. The, you are the thing. The people, right? The, the children of God. This, this is the heritage. These relationships are the heritage. It's people not the house, it's what, it's what takes place in the house. It's not the city, it's what takes place in the city that matters. This, this is what Solomon is teaching us. It's about the children. This is the heritage that God is giving us. 
See, the, what, what you see in the first two verses is we are the ones initiating, right? Whereas in verses 3, 4, and 5, it's God initiating, right? Behold, children are heritage from the Lord. He's the one giving. The fruit of the room of a ward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is filled with them, or who fills his quiver with them, knowing that all of this is from the Lord. Now, this psalm has, has very practical implication for Israel, right? This is the original audience, okay? Solomon, Solomon is writing this passage, and, and it's, it's helpful to know just a little bit of context here, right? David was actually given the plans to build the temple. This is the house that, that Solomon is, is, is referring to, is, is the sanctuary, the temple, the place of worship. And we know from 1 Kings 5.3, it says, this is Solomon saying, you know that David, my father, could not build a house for the name of the Lord his God because of the warfare with which his enemies surrounded him until the Lord put them under the soles of his feet. So this temple couldn't be built in hostility. There had to be some level of peace. And then once peace was given, enter Solomon. Two verses later, 1 Kings 5.5, 5, So I intend to build a house for the name of the Lord my God. As the Lord said to my father, Your son, whom I set on your throne in your place, shall build the house for my name. So, you know, if, if, we're ask, if, we're, if we're asking the question, what kind of house is God building, the answer is very, very clear, right? God is building a house for his namesake. It's for his namesake. And that's the key difference between the first two verses and the next three. The first two, it's, they, they ignore God. This is not for God's name. It's not. But the next three... God is doing this, right? This is his heritage. He's the one blessing. He's the one that's fruitful. He's the one that is filling the quivers, right? And basically, um, in terms of like just the, the basic practical understanding of this passage right here, verses 3 to 5 is, why are children a, a blessing? Why are they a reward? What is, what is all this language with the arrows and the warrior, and what does this have to do with the enemies in the gate? And he's basically saying this. Yes, you will labor to raise these children, and then in your old age, when you become more dependent, your children will be like arrows. And when your quiver is filled with them, it says he shall not, the, the person that ages, that is now dependent on his family, he shall not be put to shame. Why? Because, because when he speaks with his enemies at the gate, it's, it's, it's these, the idea here is that the children are the ones that are advocating on behalf of their parents. This is a form of justice. Is the, the kids are like arrows. They're the ones defending from injustice, right? These, their parents, which have accumulated wealth, they're protecting them. They're making sure that they stay secure. Who's going to advocate for them? It's, it's the children, right? So when people come to take advantage of them at the gate, this is referring to the court of justice, the children will go on their behalf. They, they the parents, will not be put to shame because their kids will fight for them. 
So, so very practically, that's how an, an Israelite would, would understand this text. Right? God's given you children, and in your old age they will take care of you. And that's a blessing. It's a reward. Um, there's, there's many examples that we see, right, especially in our day, in our culture. Um, we love this kind of story, right? I mean, like a Christmas carol, for example. For example, Ebenezer Scrooge, right? This is a man who didn't care about anybody. He lived a very selfish life. He was all about accumulating wealth at everybody else's expense. And if he were to die, he would die alone. Who's going to advocate for him? Nobody. He has nobody. Right? But then he has that experience, the revelation of who he is, his selfishness when he's visited by those three spirits. And all of a sudden, he's changed. He becomes selfless, right? He becomes generous. He starts advocating for the poor. He's, he's, he's pleading um, for other people on their behalf. This is how he, he um, ends his life. And it's beautiful. We, we love that. We celebrate that. Um, and so, of course, anybody who's in that position would love to have their children, right, advocate for them on their behalf, and this is a, this is a blessing. But I, I just want to say that I think that you could probably broaden this, these principles, right, of, of people, of, of children being like warriors, of children advocating for their parents, who are now weak and dependent. We th- these broader principles. We this these are the things that that Scripture actually celebrates, right? And we see this we see this all throughout Scripture. But I just want to give you a few examples here. Um, I love this quote. Um, we kind of recognize the um, the beauty of sacrificing for others. This is a uh, Harmon Kilbrew, who was the first baseman for the Twins, baseball. I know everybody loves baseball in here. Um, I do. But he says this. He says, my father used to play with my brother and me in the yard. Mother would come out and say, you're tearing up the grass. And, and the dad would say, we're not raising grass. We're raising boys. You know, this, this is a guy who, who understands, right, that what, what is most valuable is not the grass. It's the kids playing on the grass. Right? We, we get this. Um, maybe you saw this. Um, I, I love this. This, um, this. this little news story went viral. It's just so beautiful. This little six-year-old boy named Bridger. He, it was a story that, about him who saw his little sister, who was probably like four, she was about to get attacked by a dog, and he got right in front of her, and he suffered a mauling. And he ended up getting 70 stitches on his cheek and, and above his eye. And they asked him, they said, why did you do it? And he said, if someone had to die, I thought it should be me. That's a six-year-old. That's a six-year-old. If someone had to die, I thought it should be me. So what kind of house is God building? Go back to the last dance. You think about Michael Jordan's stat line, 
when you think about Bridger's 70 stitches on the side of his face. And you were like the parent, right? Who's like a warrior and you had to shoot an arrow. What would you want to shoot at? Would you, would you shoot for the Jordan stats? Or would you shoot for the 70 stitches? Give me the stitches. 10 times out of 10. Because that's the house that God is building. Because that little boy, who, I don't know if he knows Jesus. Man, he sure points me to him. That's the kind of boy that I want to raise. These are the arrows that God is raising. It's not about the building. It's not about the house. Nothing wrong with those things. But it's what takes place within the house. Guys, this is, these are the arrows that God is raising. People who are selfless. People who, are, who move towards the broken and the downtrodden. That's the house that God is building. And so I think, one, all of us who believe in Jesus, we're all his children. Therefore, we're all his arrows. All of us. And maybe you've never thought about that. You know, I, I think a lot of people, we, we, we tend to either... <laughs> overdo spiritual warfare or neglect it completely and we somewhere in between is the truth right but this is this is language of war god's people are on the offense here and i think this is you think about your children right you think about the kind of christian you want to be you think about the people you're discipling whether it's your neighbor your coworker your family you don't have children but you long for spiritual children. What do you want them to be like? What do you want them to value? If they had this understanding that they're arrows, where do you want them to be shot? And if I'm sober, I want to be shot at that dog that's about to maul my sister. That's what I want. That's what I want for my kids. I mean, is it wrong for Jordan to have those stats? No, it's not. There's nothing wrong with that. But if that's all your life is built on, yeah, I don't want that. It's vain. It's just vanity. It's just vanity. See, when this, the only way that this text will begin to really make sense, okay, you, you just have to track with me here. The only way that this text will begin to make sense is if, if you put this text within the context of spiritual warfare. Okay? Jesus, the Son of God, was like the arrow in the Father's quiver that was shot into human history. And, and, and this arrow came in the form of a cross. It came in the form of a cross. He came to lay down his life. And he says this. This is out of, uh, out of Matthew. He goes up to a, a tax collector named Levi. 
who was sitting at his tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. Levi, who recognized the voice of God, says that he left everything, and he rose and followed him. Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with him, and the Pharisees and their scribes were, were grumbling at his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus said to them, Those who are well have no need of a, of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous but sinners to repentance. The house that God is building, the house that God desires to build, is a house filled with arrows that long to be shot into these places. They long to be shot among those who are sick, among those who are oppressed, among those who are destitute. James says religion that is pure is this, those who care for widows and orphans. What is he saying? There's, there's, a, there's a particular weakness there is a destituteness. There is a neediness for us, the church, to recognize, to see the brokenness, and to be shot into those places in order that people might receive the gospel. They might know the house that God is building. And friends, I just, listen, I'm not perfect at this. I'm not up here trying to say, yeah, I'm killing it. Like, no, I'm not. I struggle just like you. I just, I just had a conversation with somebody recently. And I said, when was the last time you shared the gospel with somebody that you felt uncomfortable with? And he's like, it's been a while. I said, yeah. Yeah, it's been a while for me too. And he asked me, he said, well, well how do you do that? Friends, we should not be asking that question. How do you do that? You see need and brokenness all around you. All around you. You know what you do? You say hi. My name is Garrett. You talk story. You get to know them. You listen for the pain. You listen for the hurt, and you enter it. And of course you're going to be uncomfortable. You, you think Jesus was comfortable when he came? No. No. But he was shot. Psalm 118, verse 22 says that the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And Jesus, in multiple places, but in particular in the book of Matthew, Chapter 21, verse 42, he says, Have you never read the scriptures? The stone, he's quoting this verse, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. That's what the Lord's doing. That's what he's doing. And Peter, picking up on this theme, in 1 Peter chapter 2, he says, As you come to him, 
that stone that was rejected, that has become the cornerstone onto which every other stone is to be built, he says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God is chosen and precious. It's chosen and precious. And you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We know that, and just like the person that I talked to, you don't want that. Why would you want to be rejected? Why would you want to be forsaken? Why would you want to be built upon the stone that was rejected? That in the eyes of men is ugly and vanity and pointless and worthless, but in the sight of God is precious. It's because we see Jesus shot into human history in the form of a cross. And all the experiences from verses 1 and 2, all of it, anxiety, restlessness, the doubt, the lack of trust, the anxiety, all of it, we know that's why he went to the cross. He took that for me. He knows that unless he comes, unless he builds, unless he blesses, that's how I'm going to live. That's how I will live. Outside of God, that's, that's, I will continue to eat the bread of anxious toil. And he says, no. No, come to me. I'm the true living bread. Eat of me. Take of my yoke. It's easy, and my burden is light. And yes, pick up your cross and follow me, but that's the path of joy. That is the path of joy. Jesus became like that little boy that stood in the gap, that protected his little sister, that got the stitches. This, this is what Jesus did for us. And, and we, we hear that, and we, we know that is beauty. That is beauty. That is love. And, and, and there's a part of us that longs to be like that. And we, but then we're also like, man, I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> I don't know if I could do that. I don't know if I could live with a face that will look like that for the rest of my life. But that's exactly what Jesus does for us. And that's why that story is so beautiful. It's so beautiful because it testifies to the true story, right? That Jesus was the arrow, that he was the one shot from the Father's quiver into the heart of our enemies. He shot at the enemies, right? Jesus is the one who stands at the gate pleading for our cause. He pleads for us, and he bleeds for us. He is the one that has overcome our greatest enemies, namely sin, but Satan and death. And that when we recognize that, we, we already know that the victory has been secured. It's a sealed deal. It's done. It is finished. And therefore, we know just like people use this illustration all the time, 
before social media and current technology, news took a long time to spread, right? If, if, if war ended, it may be years before all the, all the battles, all the arm, armies that are spread out across the region would, would, would hear that their warfare has ended. This is what's happening in human history. Jesus Christ, he has sealed the victory, and this good news is spreading across the whole world. And until it reaches all nations, all tongues, all peoples, that's when this thing is going to wrap up. And so until then, yes, we are like arrows that God is raising up, that he is shooting into the brokenness among the lost people, among the destitute, among the despised, among the hungry. And friends, let me just tell you, you know, you know that when God shoots you into those places and it yields fruit for his kingdom, you know that that joy is inexpressible and filled with glory. It's loss, but it's actually gain. It's all gain. Yeah, sure, we lose, but we gain. And, and the gain is so much more than the actual loss. And, and when, I, when I come to the end of my life and I think about what God can do through my family, my children, I'm not going to trade, I, I would never, I would not trade the one for the other. I would not trade the stats. Or I wouldn't trade the stitches for the stats. I just wouldn't. I just wouldn't. And so I just want to end, I just want to end here, you know, with, with, with all the uncertainty going around. Um, one of the, one of the things that I, I believe was significant for me is my, Actually, my mother-in-law, the last time that they came out here, she said, you know, Garrett, I really think that you need to, I'm, I'm, these aren't her exact words, but what she was telling me was, I really think you need to spend more time investing in your kids with the word and prayer. And at first I was offended by that, <laughs> but she was right. She was Absolutely right. It's exactly what I needed to hear. This is before COVID and all this stuff. And with COVID, and you, you think about how, I don't even know if my kids are going to have the same opportunities that I've been used to, whether it's education or whatever. Who knows? <laughs> we have no idea what's in the future, right? And then you start to think about, okay, what do I want my kids to be like? What do I want to be like? What sort of values do I want to instill in them regardless of how things unfold? What do I want for them? And what God did is he, he, he granted me, I think, a, a good, healthy repentance. And, and my excuse, by the way, was, well, Hannah does it. She's the one that reads with them and really prays with them. And sometimes I'll get in there and I'll pray and... But that was just an excuse. It was an excuse. And, and what I've seen, and what I've seen is when, when we, we're going through the book of Acts right now as a family, and when we sit down and we open the text together and we read through it and they ask questions and we engage, I mean, literally, it's like, it's amazing. 
It, it's literally amazing. I'm literally watching God take these little arrows and straighten them and sharpen them and get them ready to be shot. And, and the fruit is literally incredible. And I'm not doing it. It's not, it's not anything that I'm doing. It's literally the Spirit doing this thing and having experienced just a, a renewed, a refreshing actual experience with God doing this in real time, I wouldn't trade that for anything. And in fact, I'm thankful for the situation that we're in because it really does strip everything away. And, it, and, and I hope for you, as it's done for me, it's helped me to recognize what is most valuable. What is most valuable? And I think this is good for us as a church, right? We've been stripped in a lot of ways. And as we think about, okay, Lord, what kind of house do you want to build here? My prayer is that this house would be built for the name of the Lord and that we too would be like these arrows shot at the enemy where we will not be put to shame. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. You build, you watch, you protect, you equip, and you shoot. This is the house that you're building. I pray, I pray that all of us, you would, you would literally make our hearts come to a place where we could say, shoot me, shoot me. Just as Jesus looked out of, over Jerusalem with compassion and he wept for that city because he knew what was coming, moved by the, by the brokenness. Father, there... We see brokenness all around us. And I pray that, that each of us that are your children, that love you, I pray that the, the cry of our hearts would be, shoot me. Father, we, we acknowledge that we're weak. We are weak. And there's a lot of times that we don't want to be shot. We don't but I pray that your spirit would lead us and guide us and show us that, Jesus, you were shot for us. You were shot for us. And you, you overcame our greatest enemies. And I pray that as we follow you, that we could walk in imitation of that. That we would know that we, we could trust you, that you were sovereign. You came as a physician to heal. And I pray that we would see that and respond to that. Give us your spirit and lead us in that. In Jesus' name, amen.